listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I'm Barbara Bickham, and I'm here with Liz today. So Liz, thank you so much for joining. In one line, can you give me your name, your title, and the name of your fund? Yeah, Elizabeth Liz Kuka, and I'm the executive director at Ethereum Classic Labs. And the fund would technically be under Digital Finance Group. That's the parent company where I'm a principal investor. Liz, what inspired you to become an investor or a venture capitalist? What was your inspiration or impetus to that? Yeah, there's a number of reasons why. The first is just having a love for startups and wanting to help them uh, kind of pave the way for our future and, and work with visionaries who have a vision for what the world might look like in a different way, a different model, different system, whatever it may be. Uh, second, wanting to utilize my network to be helpful. So that's making introductions to investors, future hires, potential um, customers. So I think that is a contribution and reason to want to be in the space if you're looking into it. Um, A third is as an investor, you need to stay at the top of whatever industry or category that you're investing in. So for me, it's blockchain and crypto, which means that all day, every day, I'm reading news articles, I'm on Twitter, I'm reading white papers, I'm meeting with folks. It it really forces you, or you you better, (laughs) really forces you to stay at the forefront um, of the industry which you're investing in. I think some additional reasons, I I took my hand at at my own company back in 2015, 2016, it never got to market, but I think I have a founder empathy as well for, for what it takes to make this happen from fundraising to doing 20 jobs as a person of one or maybe four. So yeah, there's a number of reasons. I love how you said that your network is available. Like I think as investors, sometimes founders don't see that. It's that hidden thing that we potentially bring to a table. Like we have massive networks and that's a a huge value add for a founder and, and as an investor too, because You can say, hey, I want to co-invest with you. Hey, I want to, like you said, how do we strike these partnerships for our startups? How do we get them clients? So I think that's a huge value add. Yeah, I think so. It's a really tricky kind of slippery slope because I don't know about you, but oftentimes like the worst is when you think that someone just wants to talk to you because they want money or like they just want something. And so I think it's a slippery slope. Yes. I, think it's, I think it's okay to, to be really straightforward and honest about that. Listen, I'm fundraising and I know you're interested in what I'm interested in or you have a contact. Like I have no problem helping people. But I think when your network yeah. gets to a, to a certain size, you have to say no eventually. So I think it just becomes a slippery slope where you have such a large network and so many people and projects you're trying to help that when somebody new comes in, 
you've never met, who you don't really have any motivation to help. It just gets to this tricky point. So what I'm trying to say is as a new founder, when you're going out there trying to meet investors or meet people who can help you, it, it can become difficult when you meet people who have, who are already been trenched. If that makes sense. What do you, what do you think? What do you yeah, think about that? I agree. It can be a slippery slope because most founders just think they need money. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, you have to balance that off. You have to balance that off between helpfulness and then your actual like co-investing partner. There's a balance there and there's a multifaceted balance outside of we just have money because there are multiple ways to get money, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I so, think, yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot too. I, I think, yes, there's multiple ways to get money. And something else I don't think founders think about is that, like, it's a relationship, right? Even if you are able to mm-hmm. work with somebody who um, maybe it's only a four-year agreement instead of seven-year, seven-year lockup time or something like that, but it's still a relationship. Right. We still need to, to check in with each other on a quarterly basis or a monthly basis, whatever the flow is, and enjoy mm-hmm. <laughs> enjoy checking in and have the trust that, that we're both going to make ourselves available and I don't think that founders often think about that. I think they, their, their first and foremost thing is like secure the money and get out of here. Right. It's across an ecosystem as well. Like if you have strategic partners or customers for them, potentially like that trust evolves across that whole entire ecosystem. It's not just like, Hey, here's the finance portion. And then that's, it's more to it than that. Cause we're trying to build ecosystems We're not just trying to give powder, which is one piece of a bigger part of building an ecosystem. So tell me a little bit about the investment thesis and what is the motivation behind the thesis? Yeah, so at Ethereum Classic Labs, we believe blockchain is the future. That might be blockchain and AI at the same time. It doesn't mean that one's exclusive to the other. But we do believe that the blockchain really is serving a great purpose uh, to society and to, to most of us who are using it already when it comes to uh, self-banking and peer-to-peer exchange, when it comes to transparency and data, when it comes to more open systems so that we can share data amongst completely different organizations, when it comes to censorship resistance and governments and uh, major corporations not controlling and dictating right, our, our lives. So we do believe blockchain is the future. So that's at the high level, the, the thesis. Not really saying that much specifically. To go into greater depth, we're very interested in financial inclusion, and that includes mm. DeFi. So for us, okay. that, that's um, opening up markets to folks who normally wouldn't have had access. And that's in a number of ways. That's financial markets. That could be in agriculture. It could be mm. making sure that, that a farmer is getting a fair price and able to connect their goods and services to somebody else. It can be um, energy markets. It can be whatever you want to call it. it um, blockchain can really service a lot of those. So financial inclusion is one. Another is infrastructure. That's like the picks and shovels in the space, like okay. the basics. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is impact in emerging markets. And so I think impact in emerging markets, um, we do believe is part of the, is definitely a part of this future for blockchain, because those are places where folks can move super fast. So for example, yes. in the US today, you're probably not going to get access to crypto <laughs> through Kaiser Permanente, right? Or Blue Shield. Correct. It's, it's like extremely unlikely. However, what we see throughout different countries in Africa where we've seen folks talking about onboarding people with M-Pesa to a stable coin mm-hmm. to get them into healthcare because younger people don't who have some income 
don't go to the doctor. They don't go and see their physician when they probably should be. And so you use crypto as a cool, interesting, fun, and exciting thing to get them you know, to the doctor, which you're just not right. really going to see in the States. And that, that's interesting, too, that you brought up in PESA, because if you think about how they actually created their digitized infrastructure, that's what I'll call it, they didn't start off with credit cards or debit cards. They started with the ability to pay with your phone. So it's easier for them to accept and extend that paradigm because there's no shift from swiping my card or I have a bank because their bank was their phone and they did all their transacting and banking and issuing on their phone. So they understand the concept of doing that. Whereas here in the States, like you said, first of all, with Kaiser Permanente accept crypto, that's half of the battle. But then the other half of the battle is how are you going to get people to change the behavior from swiping their credit card or going and paying with their debit card or even still paying with cash? So there's insurance and other kind of elements here as well. I think from that perspective, it is exciting because they're a little further ahead in the adoption of already digitized money. They're already ahead in the adoption and also baking in data privacy, knowing Mm -hmm. what's coming down the pipeline in emerging markets with people seeing it or seeing different countries and and areas as like little honeypots, right, that haven't been tapped that much yet. And so for folks to be thinking a couple steps ahead is like, how do we protect everyone's data now? and keep your privacy in place now, while also giving you the the added features, the digital part, um, and the crypto part is, is pretty cool. And if you think about DeFi and crypto, it is a little bit more private anyway, naturally. It's encrypted, and, and there they have privacy coins and things of that nature. But the reality is, in my mind, the decentralized nature of it keeps it a little more private. There's not like no one person that's in control of that whole entity, like Bitcoin, for example, or even Ethereum, like they have people working on it as far as developing it, but no one's in control of it in my mind. Like they have a foundation, but there's no real big control. So that makes it interesting from a data privacy side and that it's already baked in and you don't have these huge Libras and and things of that nature that you have to be concerned about that from a privacy perspective, because they already have so much of your data and information. That's right. Liz, what are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? So Barbara, because I did get these questions in advance, yes, I did prepare a little bit and I wanted wanted to do a show and tell. Okay, good. We have video. So what that means. (laughs) All right. Just repeat the book. What is the name of the book? It's Guns, Germs, and Steel. And it's- Liz is reading something. Called <laughs> Guns, Germs, and Steel. Guns, Germs, and Steel. Okay, yeah. great. You can hold it up for the video, oh. but of course, we're on a podcast as well, so we have to say it out loud. All right. It's called Guns, Germs, and Steel. Now, who wrote that book? It's, and- it's Jeremy Diamond. Oh, okay. And it's an older one. It's like, I don't know, it's been sitting on my bookshelf forever, but it's it's really relevant today because it, it helps paint the picture and understanding of like, how in the world did we get to where we are today? So he's a historian, a researcher, like an anthropological researcher. Um, who's just really going back in time to like, how in the heck did we get here? So I think that's, wow. I, I know you probably wanted me to name some business books. That'll no, be- no, it, it, it's what are you reading or listening to? Like, that, I mean, but you know what? These books are very interesting because it doesn't have to be a business book. I read philosophy books and things like that. That sounds very interesting to me because how you got here could help inform certain things about your decision-making, about strategy, about how you deal with people. So it could be really interesting in that way. 
I think it have to be a, like a Warren Buffett's seven tips to investing. I do think it's relevant. Okay, but I have more. I have more. more okay, yeah, more. Uh, you have another one for me. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I mean, we got time. Okay, so chaos. Chaos making the news. Science. James Gleck. G L E I C K. That's it. Yep. That's his name. So this one, I'm only like I don't know two chapters in or something. But this one, it's also old, but also I think very relevant. Yeah, it's relevant in that. Okay, I'm going to tell you a quick, tiny little backstory. Sure. So I'm, I'm getting my MBA. Here we go, making it business relevant. I had a strategic foresight course taught by a futurist, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. It's folks who are thinking like 10, 20, 30 years ahead and mapping out like what different scenarios look like and how do you um, influence the one that you want most likely to happen. And so in this course, he, he taught really, really briefly about the idea of everything it falls into four, four buckets. Um, they're either simple, they're complicated, they're complex, or they're chaotic. And, and wow. he said back in 2014 was that the future was going to be highly ambiguous, far mm. more chaotic leadership and where we're going was going to be changing much more rapidly. And, and for, to me back in 2014, I was like, what is he talking about? I am a linear thinker. <laughs> How do we get things done? That was a little bit. It was, that too was much. a little out of the box right there. <laughs> I was just like, this sounds stressful and awful to somebody who's like, and welcome to 2020. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to 2020. Welcome welcome to 2020. And I know in times leading up to this. So I think understanding chaos and chaos theory and how chaos is really around us all the time and, and really approaching it as a system, I think is right. really helpful um, to understanding the world around us and, and to investing as well, just being prepared for, for what's to come. So that's another well, that's, a, that's a good point, though, from an investment side, because if you think about it, look at what's happened with the COVID-19 and how chaotic it's gotten in the investment areas and how people have pulled back and we've had LPs pull back and what the thinking is because it's gotten so chaotic and it's very uncertain. And I think that's a good point as far as chaos theory. And it could, like you said, it's a system and it could just be more like this is just the mass chaos is massive uncertainty. How do you go about dealing with that? Yep. As an entity or as a system. That's, so that's right. A good point. Um, yeah, it's 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 dry. It's super dry. If anyone does guns, drugs, sure. and steel is like is like popular nonfiction, super easy to read. Chaos is like really dry. Um okay, I got right. really dry one, really exciting one. Okay, here's a here's another one. Here's another okay. one. Okay. This is the third one. I haven't started it yet, and I have something to say about investing on this one. Okay. So it's how not to be a racist. It's how to be anti how, how to be an anti racist. Oh, that's the Ibram uh, book, yes. Okay, so Ibram I haven't asked candy. It just came in because it was on back order. Yes. So I do think amongst like my friends and family, I'm probably one of the last people who needs to read it, but we can all <laughs> learn and we can all make sure that we're like being our best selves, right? In action and in, in thinking and in action. But what yes. I want to say about investing on this one is that I don't really want to work with anybody who isn't trying to get better and especially at how they treat yes. their, their fellow people. So I think that's a really important one. You know what? And I will chime in on that since you're familiar with WFAX and female VC, I, we are aligned in that way. It's like moving forward, who do you want to participate with that has the same thinking and has the same kind of value propositions as you do from a fund side? Because these are long-term investments, as we spoke of earlier. So do you want to be with certain types of people five years from now? One well, five from minutes now. from now, <laughs> really it's five minutes, but you yeah. know, I mean, but, but I mean, from a, from a venture capital or an investment side, you, you have to look at long-term horizon. So let's say in five years you can get out. All right. 
do you want to be with this kind of person for at least five years? And the answer is kind of no. But it, I, I like how you're thinking about that and you, you're stating it that way. Okay, one more. All right, one more, one more, one more. Then we have a bonus question. Then we have a bonus question. Okay, this. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't got my voter guide yet. I'm jealous. Although it could be in the mailbox. Okay, so so there's Proposition 25. So what I have to say about reading. What's a, what's, what's, what's on, what is Proposition 25? Tell us really quick for those. The proposition 25. Anything all, about California. It's all about bail bonds. And so like in general, oh, okay. I'm against bail bonds because I think it's super classist, right? And especially when people of color are oftentimes um, wrongly arrested. If you Correct. didn't do something and now you're stuck and you can't even get out because you can't post bail. That's you can't even post a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> Yeah, but but the thing with Prop 25, which the reason I wanted to share this is because I think it's important to ask people who who know more about these subjects because I generally don't. Like I read it and I think I get it, but then there's always like a catch. So I started posting that's, about it over the weekend to try to and get that's, And that's how it is in California. It's is this really what it says it is? Maybe and maybe not. Isn't is it like that in other pla- is it yeah. not like that in other states? I, I don't know, but definitely here it could be a catch. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, okay. So on this one, what's tricky is that like you have people from like both sides, you, yes, you have people they from always the same do that. side, that's the same side though, who are, who are battling it out where I'm like, I don't understand. I don't know who to, who to listen to because mm-hmm. there are two groups I would normally listen to. So that the catch here is that people are saying when you get rid of bail bonds, you still have people of color who are getting arrested. And now because of some like com- computer monitoring system, like an AI that's saying that they will pop- probably flee or they're a danger to society. Oh, interesting. Now they're going to be in jail and they can't post bail. So now they have, now they have AI bias on top of the bail thing. <laughs> so when we Okay, have- so that's actually something to fund. Let's fix that. That's something to fund. Like, yes. you know, maybe some blockchain AI tracking thing could help with that. But Okay, but you know, they, like these are, are serious issues and they impact people, they impact companies, they impact people's families and teams and teams of people. And uh, it's important to, to be cognizant of these things as well. But that's it for you, Barb. I mean, I've got a bunch of other well, that's all. Those, those are all really great. But you know, Liz, I have a bonus question. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the bonus question is, how do you see venture capital investing evolving in the next year or two, like in the next couple of years? So if it's 2020 was this 2022 and I come back and I say Liz uh, did your evolution happen what will we be talking about in two years uh, if I come back and chat with you clearly we're going to chat before then but yeah I, I I think like what I think is the future is based on like what I see in front of me a lot right and so otherwise mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure but uh, Correct. I, I do think that crowdfunding is still pretty appealing and I think more people mm-hmm. are joining the crowdfunding kind of approach so for example, yes. I make, I'll do small checks through like Start Engine and Start right. Engine uh, next month will have a secondary market platform where I can now yes. buy, sell it. I can sell, I can sell within purchasing of six months or three months. That's huge. So, That's actually very revolutionary from the crowdfunding side because it is. now you can really go, okay, we can really IPO in essence, or, and yep. your investors can have a different alternative way to create their uh, capital stack as well. So this is going to be very interesting. It is. It's having the liquidity, right? Having liquidity. Correct. We'll see if it works. Now, if it's like yeah, well, us on the platform, <laughs> it's not going to do much. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think that's going to be big. I just talked to an investor like two hours ago mm-hmm. who's going to the London Stock Exchange to help his teams, his portfolio companies IPO. 
because what he was sharing is in the U.S. You're going to pay three to five million dollars annual to be a public for the uh, for the all the regulations and all the uh, compliance, I'll say, and governance for that. Yes, absolutely. And in London, it's only three to five hundred k a year, so you're paying like a tiny. You're paying like twenty percent, a tenth. Wow, that's 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 a big. It is a tenth. You know what? That's a big difference. And then the other people I know, as I I talked to the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, they're also a lot more cost effective. They have a different configuration as far as the types of companies they let out there because they have a lot of oil and gas and mining and things like that there. But it is something to look at if you're going to get into a secondary market or IPO. So AIM is one, London, the TSX is one. And then I don't know about... China, Singapore, Hong Kong, like, I mean, they got some big other ones. So it's just a matter of thinking, why are these costs here? And why is it so cost prohibitive? Why do you have to be a Google or something like that? You have to raise so much money to go public now. Yeah, It's really, it stunts innovation in a way, because these companies have to stay private for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you just, yeah, I think yes, yes, yes to everything you said. And I, I, so I think the crowdfunding part and like the smaller checks and getting younger people interested in investing, mm-hmm. I think with Robinhood and with crypto and, and things like that, it will happen first, will happen over the next few years. But I think the shifting to like London Stock Exchange and the other market like Toronto, like you just said, yeah. maybe five to 10 years, folks start to flee. It's mm-hmm. not a good sign. I mean, like we're, we're we that's are absolutely a bad. That's that's a horrible sign if you think yeah. about it. If we're losing that type of clout that we used to have, Nasdaq and NYSE, and I mean that's a huge, that's a huge, that's going to be huge in the next few years. And then the other thing is we're both in the blockchain crypto space, and it, it'll be interesting to see how those types of I'm waiting for the products to evolve. And I love DeFi. I love the, the concept of that. But I feel like the business and revenue models are not that revolutionary. So yeah. I'm waiting for like one of these large exchanges to not become an NYSE, but become an output like that, where it's like, okay, you did your crowdfund, you went up the stack, and then everyone can now participate again and have that secondary market. So I'm looking to see who's going to be doing that because to me, that becomes interesting as an investor because A, we can get returns, but then B, who's going to facilitate that as well? Who's facilitating that? You know who's one of my favorites? You might already know them. The folks at Celsius. Yes, I know. Yeah, Celsius Networks, yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. should bring Alex on the show. He could talk all about it. Great. Yeah, I think Celsius is pretty cool. And I think this is a, a really good plug that's worth mentioning. And I've been wanting to, to shout it out to like friends, but I'm a little scared that if I like advertise and try to walk people through it, they're gonna be like, I lost all my money. <laughs> like crap. <laughs> but I think through Celsius right now on USDC, so US dollar coin, a stable coin, you can mm-hmm. make, I make 11.5%. It's insane that, that you get that's 11.5%, which like- That's more than any bank, more than any mutual yeah. fund, more than NASDAQ. It's more than anything right now. Yes. And so growing up with my folks who were like, oh, I have, we got 10% for life on this freaking CD we bought in 1975. Like, that's nice. Like, I don't have that. So I mean, right. I think is like, and people are like, how do they do it? How is Celsius doing it? How did banks do it? How did they do it in the 70s and 80s? Like, like, right. They did it because they, they didn't take as much profit. It was Correct. an incentive. Correct. Yeah, it was an incentive to get customers on the platform. And so like, why not take advantage of that same giving attitude right now in the crypto space? And it's very secure. So in Celsius, yes. they have $100 million in um, insurance through Fireblocks, their, cust- their custody. Provider. All right. So, so, they so have, anyway. They have good custody as well, which is important from the crypto side. 
Yeah, exactly. But no, I'm glad we touched on that because that was, I think that's important because you have to think about what's the next, I believe venture capital is broken and I think we know this. So like how, what is the next set of things we can do to start evolving venture capital to make it more accessible for everyone? I think that's very important. Yeah. The way it's structured now is uh, it needs to be restructured a little bit. What would you do? What would you do differently? I, I, we're doing crowd rounds as well. I like the the start engine thing is very attractive to me. If you could be like a broker dealer and have some secondary markets built into the offerings, that's very attractive from an investor. I mean, I do like DeFi. I'm not in love with it. The, uh, the interest rate thing is cool, but I mean, and it's fairly understandable. Like, hey, you put up at $100, you get 11.5% as a compounded. However, like that's fairly traditional, fairly basic which is good. So how do you fix venture capital? I think we need to, like, where's the crypto crowdfunding thing? I'm ready for that. So there was a lot of ICOs and other things back in the day. Why is it that we can't evolve that and make it more like crowd rounds, like more legalized, more structured? Uh, why can't all of this be digitized? I don't know why we have to have paper or anything. In any, when you're following your Reg CF, why is it that can't be digitized? Why do you have to have all these signatures? Why can't we have KYC ML and then we can have some of the, like the FAFA and then you just sign it and your identity goes along with you. There's some things to look at there. And then venture capital. Like uh, it, some of it is who can play with what? You have to have, like, if you're raising a fund, you have to have a big fund or else like it's very difficult to turn a hundred bucks into a hundred million. It requires a lot of skill and some luck and, and some strategy and then some connections. Because all that. <laughs> <laughs> and time as well. Yep. All right, Liz, this has been great. So how do people get in touch with you or contact you? Oh, yeah. On Twitter, venture underscore this. And on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Kuka. And if you're interested in checking out more about Ethereum Classic, we have grants, we have an accelerator. It's etclabs.org. And of course, if Barbara wants to make an introduction, you're more than welcome to. No worries. Me that that way. can happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Liz. And I appreciate uh, uh, you chatting with me from ET- ETC Labs and uh, Ethereum Classic. And thanks for being our guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. Thanks, Barbara. Have a great day. You as well. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin trailin.com to find out more. Find us on Apple, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>